You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. So we are in the middle of a series, uh, which is not common here, but I, I think that, that it is a good thing, even though I am not covering closely a text word by word, we are going to handle more than one text today, uh, but there are there are times for us as a congregation to pause, to look at ourselves in light of what God's word has said. And it is, it is so refreshing when God's word changes you, changes the way you think, changes the way you do things individually. And when he changes the way we think and do things individually, it can't help but change our church. Some of the things I'm saying, in fact, for a lot of you, a lot of the things I'm saying are things you've, you've probably heard a lot of times, but uh, we need repetition. So I will start with this. The church is not where you go. I, I say that. I'll tell my wife I've got to run into the church for a little while. That's just the, we, we refer to a building as a church, and that 101 times I think the word church is used in the New Testament, never once of a building. It's, it's just culture, and, and, and don't get after people for saying I'm going to the church. But when we say I'm going to church, we're kind of using it the same way. Unless we say, well, I'm going to church at the park, because we do that once a year. The point is this. The church is not the place you go. Church is a family to which you belong. That is why we have so many one another's in Scripture. There is a, an unofficial theme verse that I, I, I think of as I'm doing these preparation for these studies week by week, and it's Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, and we're not actually going to cover it, but it, it's a text of scripture that talks about Jesus emptying himself. The challenge for us in trying to be gospel-focused is to say, what does the gospel look like as it is lived out? I have a, I claim anyway, a, a vertical relationship with God, and sometimes I might think that my vertical relationship with God has no connection with the horizontal relationship. So in Philippians 2, Paul is getting ready to talk about Jesus emptying himself and humbling himself and being obedient to the cross. But before he gets there, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, which means you cannot live a life that pleases God in isolation. Last week, uh, we did something we've never done before. Uh, There was one time in in the last 30 years that I remember we actually canceled a Sunday morning service, uh, and that was because of plumbing, not because of weather. But I was getting phone calls from other churches. Are you guys canceling tomorrow? Are you guys canceling tomorrow? And we thought, well, no, we have deacons meeting, so we can't cancel. But we uh, we went ahead with the service, and uh, you know, it's not. Oh well, we're the spiritual ones. Uh, I was together with actually two other churches in, in town that I think there were four total who actually met last week. But we here's what we tried that we hadn't done before. Uh, I, during deacons meeting, we kind of have some some techie guys, and we thought, could we live stream the service? And for those of you who who caught that, um, I'm sorry about the audio quality. We've got some technology to work on. But this gets me thinking. It's like, well, could we do that every week? And that's not a bad idea. People have asked that, and, and we just we haven't been able to, to put things together just like they should be. But this raises other questions. If you like the preaching somewhere, couldn't you just get the same thing by staying home? You can have your slippers on and put a blanket around you and... and just sit there with your coffee cup in front of the TV or your computer monitor and get the music. And you think about it, with, with the technology we have available today, there are so many things we can do from home. And, and I'm, not, I'm not complaining about this, by the way. Remember, I'm the one who encouraged Andy to help set up that live stream last week. But you think about music. We, we've had discussions uh, with, with music people and at, at deacons meetings. Uh, you, you know, I'll do... 
do people sometimes choose a church, for instance, based on the kind of music that's there? We'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. You can have personal worship experiences with your monitor and with the technology that's available today and the style of music you want. You say, I don't know, that, I can just tell by the picture. I don't like that stuff and it's not even in English. You say, well, this, this would be a little more my style, the whole pipe organ thing and very traditional music. And, and if you're on social media, you see, you, you see people say, remember back when church music sounded like this, and then you have this phenomenal male quartet singing. I think, I don't ever remember anybody <laughs> singing it that good. But we, we tend to want our preferences, and we think, well, I could, I, could get, I could get really good music at home. I've got an iTunes playlist. And then you go with my favorite preacher. It's like when, when we're on vacation or somewhere where we're not able to get to a, to a church service, my go-to guy is Alistair Begg. I mean, he's, he's the bomb. He is a communicator of God's word. He's preached verse by verse through about every book in the Bible, it seems like. He's not that old. But the truth is, he's a better preacher than me by far. I so much enjoy listening to him. I so much enjoy exposing my family to him. And I think... I would get better fed if I stayed at home on Sunday morning and listened to Alistair Begg. And so then the question comes up, why don't we do that? Because I can still, I can give my tithe to missionaries and people in need and I can get really good music, maybe better music than we have in our church, and certainly better preaching than we have in our church. Wouldn't that be a plan? This entire one another series, as, as we're looking at, at them, is going to answer the question. So I'll tell you the answer to the question is no. <laughs> you, you can't serve God in isolation. You can't live a life that pleases God. I know that there are those, those exceptions where somebody winds up... Uh, in solitary confinement somewhere. It's like, oh, they can't serve God. They can't, okay. If you're in solitary confinement, listen to Alistair Begg. But for the rest of us, we have the opportunity to serve, not just on Sunday mornings, to gather with God's people in an organized assembly. And, and it's not like we shouldn't have Christian friends from other churches, but God recognizes local churches. God recognizes membership in local churches. And the question is, what does one anothering look like? Well, that's why we're doing this series. The text that I am actually going to talk about the most this morning is Colossians 3.16. And we're going to we're going to look at some different texts and re refer to some different texts in the Old and New Testament. But there's this statement, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You are getting this message one way or another. There are people, and so I'll, I'll pause for a moment and talk to those who are not in this room. There are people outside this room who are able, because we have a screen in the foyer, are able to watch outside the room. So they're, not, they're, they're seeing things electronically. My voice is being picked up. The camera is picking up and, and turning this into signals that are sent that way. If you're, if you're in Rice Lake or, or another community that gets our cable broadcast, this is, this is just a whole bunch of pixels on a screen and, and sound waves, and you're getting this, and it's a, it's a powerful thing. There's a, a hydroelectric dam somewhere or a, or a nuclear power plant or a coal power plant generating electricity that's making all of this possible. Or if you're, if you're reading uh, a text that's, that's provided on our website, uh, there were electronic things that got that to you as well. I'm talking about something that possesses great energy to do great damage, actually, when you look at that power. But without fail... If, if we listen to what's being said here, and now I'm back to those of you who are live... 
when you realize all, all of the energy that goes into God glorifying production and creativity, the, the parallel text in Ephesians 5 to, to this is saying, when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is limitless power. God pours that power into his people. and What does he do with it? It's not out of control, reckless, abandoned, uh, not directed energy, just pile on people, pounding on people. It's something sweeter and controlled. Power like that under complete control accurately describes the filling of the Holy Spirit that's available to all God's people. In fact, it's commanded of God's people. On a human level, this spirit filling that is related to instruct one another or admonish one another in our text. This is what happened on a human level when, when two Old Testament artists, Bezalel and Aholiab, I'm sure you probably kids have, have their posters on your wall in your bedroom. They were filled with the spirit, the Bible says, and they crafted the tabernacle and its furnishings. That must have been a sight to behold. The Bible describes it, and artists have tried to, to reproduce on, on the page what, what these guys did. The filling of the Holy Spirit is what happened. That power under control when Peter and Stephen and Paul and a lot of others were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They didn't paint things or sculpt things or, or knit things. They spoke God's powerful word with boldness. But it's not just a thing of the past. It's what happens today when believers are so filled with the message of Christ that it overflows. And in this text, that overflowing comes out in instruction and in music. So listen to Paul's instruction to the church at Colossae. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This one another is being played out horizontally and vertically. Do you see that in the text? Horizontally, teaching and, and admonishing one another. That, that's a one another. It, it doesn't say go so you can get some teaching and admonishment, which means that beyond the public gatherings, Churches need to be in, in a place, whether that would be one-on-one -on -one ministry, and we can say biblical counseling falls into this category, encouraging a, 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 a friend over the phone, being involved in, this is a, a, a big deal, uh, as I understand it, being involved when in small group ministry. Those of you who in this past week have been involved in, in a small group ministry that is connected with this church, I know because I hear from you all the time, and, and some of you know, when I come out of uh, like our, our Wednesday morning group, so much of that bleeds into things that I'm thinking during the day and talking about during the day. This is God's design. Nothing wrong with the public gatherings, and we have to have the big corporate worship gathering because that's the pattern of the New Testament. But when you look at the word of Christ richly dwelling in us, there is a horizontal factor, teaching and admonishing one another, second great commandment, love and neighbors. But you notice the second part. When we're singing with thankfulness in our hearts, it's God-directed. So the vertical element has to be present in order to live this out. Uh, one very helpful piece of information in this text is that, that it really can't be translated very many ways because I've got the NASB. Some of you are carrying a King James, New King James, English Standard Version. There, are, there aren't a whole lot NIV. There are a lot, of, a lot of translations, but if you're carrying something different and comparing it to what's here, you realize there isn't much. It's like, well, admonish, maybe warn or instruct or teach. But I mean, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. There aren't too many ways to translate these words letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. There aren't a whole lot of ways to translate this. This is straightforward in meaning. And so it's straightforward when we're interpreting it. We're saying this is God talking to us through the apostle Paul, inspired word of God. If you say, can I obey the primary command of this verse? Well, what is it? Let the word of Christ 
dwell in you richly. And I'm saying that shows up in church in two ways. And that's where we're going to focus the rest of our time. In, in this particular verse, the way this letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly shows up in church, it shows up in, in church teaching and in church music. That's not uh, something that we, we shouldn't spend time and energy trying to figure out. What is the teaching supposed to look like when God's people gather corporately what is the teaching, the, the music supposed to look like when God's people gather corporately? Teaching and music, and God gives us commands in areas where we are prone to wander. And not surprisingly, the importance of Bible teaching and, and the God-focused purpose of music are one of those things that uh, are very much twisted in our culture. And I'll say twisted, not, not because somebody does it a little different than we do. That's not even what we're talking about this morning. The lessons for us to learn are not what kind, of, what kind of teaching grabs my attention and holds me? How can I listen spellbound for 45 minutes? It's not about what pleases you or what kind of music suits my fancy. Like it used to be. Like it used to be when our country was great. That's what we need. And so we go away from church saying, boy, I really liked that because our preferences were pleased. Instead of going away from church asking, was God pleased? Was God pleased? And is he going to be pleased in the way I respond to him because he spoke to me from his word? Is God going to be pleased because these, music, th these pieces of music are ringing in my mind and they are drawing me not only to sound doctrine and because they've taught us clearly about God, but, but are they bringing me a, a delight in him, an adoration for him? How do you know if the word of Christ dwells in you or how do you know if the word of Christ dwells in this church richly? And we're going to talk first about th this. And, and this is not only in this text a corporate emphasis on instruction. So I'll, I'll give the, the caveat, the warning ahead of time. That doesn't mean that our church is just all about we're gathering together and we're just going to go deep. We're going to study heavy things and we're, we're just going to give you a massive Bible knowledge. Well, you know, we ought to be giving people massive Bible knowledge, but we fall short if that's all we're doing, if we've, if we've just become a Bible Institute and we're not taking what we learn and applying it starting in our homes, in, in the family, but in the community as well. So when I say a corporate emphasis on instruction, I'm not, say, I'm not saying that our church has become a school. And honestly, as soon as I say, yeah, that's what our church needs. If we're going to live a life that pleases God and be able to live out these one another's, if we're going to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, some people would say, yeah, this, the whole instruction thing, there's kind of a corporate snore that comes up um, because some people associate instruction with boredom. And it's kind of like if somebody uses the word history and you had a bad experience with history, it's like, come on, just, just... Bottom line me, give me some kind of message, help me to feel good so I go away being uplifted. And so churches advertise uplifted worship or spirit-filled worship, and that might be defined in different ways in different places. Maybe we have a wrong view of instruction. If you would disagree that a, a major part of local church ministry must be faithful instruction of the whole counsel of God, meaning the Bible. If you would disagree with, with that sentiment, that command, you really have to fight against all the history of God's dealing with his people, with his church. The church of the Old Testament, the church of the New Testament, God has always gathered his people. And the priority, if you really want something multi-generational rather than just short-term gather a crowd, make sure people are happy, if we really want to be multi-generational in what we're doing, that, that means we are going to have a corporate emphasis on instruction. God has always pattern things that way. If we're not, and I'll throw out the word catechizing, instructing our people 
Do you know what we're doing? If we're not training our children in our home and, and using the resources in our church to train the children, getting that instruction ourselves, we are consigning the next generation of our ministry, if people stick around, to uh, honestly the biblical ignorance that is so common in churches like ours today. And remember, I'm not talking about Bible trivia, but, but when, we, when we interact with people, and this, please understand, this... Providence, this is not where, oh, we're all about those guys over there on the hill and those guys over there. That's, see, they don't get any Bible teaching. We're talking about us. We're talking about this family. Everybody else answers to God for what they're doing or not doing. But when we talk about this family, to, to ask yourself the question, am I toes being stepped on here? Am I really in my home and in my church valuing the instruction of God's word, because that's his way. Spirit filling or overflowing with the word of Christ as it dwells richly in me is, is not a product, of just crank, a product of cranking up my emotions. It is a product of knowing God through his word as he's already revealed himself. So we want to make sure that the next generation has been instructed. And if they, if they reject the word of God and move on and don't teach their children, we, we are not accountable for that. So a corporate emphasis on instruction in a church assures that the people are, and this was the description of different characters in the New Testament. Um, I believe it was Apollos among them. Apollos, when he was still preaching, in fact, he was still preaching the gospel according to John the Baptist because he hadn't heard the rest of the story, if you read Acts chapter 19. And so Aquila and Priscilla said, hey, why don't you come over for casserole after synagogue? Got some things to explain to you. And they, they preached Jesus to him. And Aquila and Priscilla in discipling him was like, wow. And now it was, just, it was just a logical fit. The pieces of the puzzle were finally together. And Apollos, still mighty in the scriptures, had a ministry that was even more effective. So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that means that the word of Christ, we could say the gospel, we could say the message of salvation, we could say the very content of scripture should what? Live in you. I think this is what David meant in Psalm 119 when he talked about the word of God being in our hearts. I've hidden your word in my heart. There's a result of that, right? If the word of Christ lives in us, we will be different. And scripture memory is a part of this. That's why we do this with children here. But adults can do that too. We do that as a, as a body every Sunday morning and every month change the text we're learning. The very content of the Bible, the scriptures should live in you because you are God's people and if you're going to be a reflection of who he is and of what he values, if you're going to be pure on the outside and on the inside, his word has to live in you. That must be what David meant when he said he hid God's word in his heart. That must be why God told Joshua that success would come, Joshua 1, 8, and 9, that success would come from meditating on the law day and night. Book of Colossians uh, very much parallels Ephesians in content. If you, if you look at the basic structure of those two letters, they really are uh, inspired sister texts. And so the parallel text in Ephesians, I've already referred to this, verse 18 and following, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now here's, here's where... It almost looks like Colossians, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to one another. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, Ephesians 5 says, speaking to one another in, there we are again, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving, giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And there's, there's another one. You've got the one another in the text, and then you've got the to God. When we are singing, we are singing to one another and we are singing to God. When we are learning, we are learning for ministry among one another, but we are learning about God. 
This speaks of the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it really does result in the same behavior. Paul really equated the, the overflow of the message of Christ with the overflow of the Holy Spirit. This idea of your cup running over is more than just uh, filling your wine glass at the Seder meal and so it pours out on your hand and on the table. The, the idea of being filled with the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit, means you have more than enough of Him. And it's not a, a mystical experience. And I have very good friends who would define this differently than me. I'm not saying they don't love the Lord. I'm just saying they're wrong. The, the work of the Holy Spirit when you talk about filling, is so much more than an ecstatic experience. It is controlled. It is not reckless. It is targeted. It is purposeful. The work of the Holy Spirit in a believer is cons consistent with the content of the Bible. It's not something more. It's like, I'm filled with the Spirit, so I got more Bible. Now I understand things. Scriptures are complete... <laughs> We're filled with the, the word of Christ that is already complete. Let the word of Christ dwell. And that's back to our, our Colossians text. That word dwell that's used in the Colossians text is actually used elsewhere in the New Testament of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of the indwelling of faith. And we are called in scripture living temples uh, as a group, as a, a body of believers, local churches are called a temple, corporately, but individually, and Paul used it both ways, individually we're little buildings, we're little temples, and that means that the, the message of God fills and inhabits and gushes out, or it should, out of every single building. What does that look like? Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're, we're tempted to hope that the people in charge have it right so often, so we don't have to think. It may not surprise you that a lot of Christians think they've uh, learned enough to be saved. It's like, yeah, I know the gospel. And so they don't take a whole lot of time for, for studying God's word personally or, or in, the, in the family of believers. Just remember, you and I are still less than entirely sanctified. And, and really the only way to sanctification is through the work God's word does in your life. Jesus said, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. There is, by the way, a logical outcome of, of developing a church whose people are mighty in the scriptures. When, when we have a congregation of people who are mighty in the scriptures, that means that people aren't afraid to teach that people aren't totally intimidated and afraid if a, if a cultist comes to the door. It's not wrong to turn them away. But when you get in those conversations with friends who believe goofy or heretical or soul-condemning things, make it your goal to know God's word well enough, not so, you, so you're just the best arguer in the world, just that the word of Christ is overflowing from you and God makes you bold and speaks through you in all of that power of creation from the spirit of God that went into this powerful word we call the scriptures or the Bible is coming out of you and is targeted and is rich. It's, it's filling you. The words, as you teach and admonish one another, if you're still looking at Colossians chapter three, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, those words mean that, that we are to instruct and warn one another. There's a place for that. Sometimes the, the person who comes to you and, and points out in a loving way the error of your ways, the error of your thinking, the error of your behavior is a much better friend than all of the yes men around you who are just always affirming everything you do. We need people who warn us. That word admonish actually means appeal to the mind. And uh, just because you don't have the New Testament gift of teaching doesn't excuse you from admonishing one another. I'll give you another example of this. Paul told the church at Rome in, an, in another context, but he was talking about them being equipped. Do you really, with just the Holy Spirit and the Bible, as a growing believer, do you have the ability to, to counsel someone? The truth is, you already are. 
Anything that comes out of your mouth, any opinion that it comes out of your mouth, you're counseling people already, friends. The question is, are you offering biblical counsel? And Paul told the church at Rome, he says, I'm confident, uh, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. That didn't mean they were basically good. You kind of have to read the rest of Romans to figure that out. <clears throat> but he's saying that you guys are equipped. You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. There's our filled word again. And able also to admonish one another. God gave you something. Sometimes you don't know what's in your bag. You don't realize, church, all that God has given to his people. If you are outside of Christ and you're listening to this and you say, I, I'm not sure, is this religious language? I want to pause here right now and say, you're right. You are not equipped. In fact, you are standing and need to realize you will face the wrath of God apart from believing this gospel. But I want to tell you, if you are on the outside listening to this, that there is a sweetness on the inside not only a sweetness of knowing God and knowing sins forgiven and the ability to change and be rescued from the chains that have bound you so long, but the family. This, this one another means that there is a family of God and, and warts and all, it, with all the imperfections and all the ways we disappoint one another, it's still family. And that's happened at your house too, right? So to go back to this text... We are people who need to be humble enough to be taught. It assumes in a, in a church full of people mighty in the scriptures, it assumes that there are going to be people who teach, but it also assumes that there are people who are willing to be taught. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And, and that means that there are, in any church, there are teachers and there are students, and at one point or another in your Christian life, believer, you need a Paul, and you need a Timothy, and you need to be a Paul, and you need to be a Timothy, and, and sometimes you'll trade roles. You can't have a church full of teachers unless you also have a church full of students. The biggest challenge, honestly, that lies ahead for Providence uh, it is not about, well, see, do we need to do anything about parking? You know, maybe maybe that, that's something to talk about in the long term. Or, you know, are we managing our space best? Is there, is there enough room for this? Is there enough room for that? The real challenge is how much room are we making in our lives, in our church family, for the word of Christ? Whether you are personally biblically counseling a brother or sister in Christ or taking time on your own to study the word of God or, or leading a Bible study or enjoying the benefits of any of those ministries being counseled, being taught. God's kind of people cannot get enough of his word. A corporate emphasis on instruction is evidence that, that the word of Christ dwells richly in a church. And here's the second one, really only two main points to this message. A mature attitude toward music. There we go. And you've heard all the jokes. It's a war department of the church. It's true. I mean, we, we've got strong opinions about music. If, uh, if we went out and turned the radio on in all of your cars, if you have a radio, um, or listen to, the, to, to your playlist that you're listening to on your device these days, and, and we just said, okay, yeah, here's, here's what Steve's been listening to, and, and here's what Chris Lancaster's been listening to, and here's what Sean Gilbert's been listening to, and, and we go right on down through the list. We're just going to put that up on the slides next week. I bet we could start a fight. And then if we say, you choose what we're singing in church. So we're going to put that up on the screen. Say, well, Steve Swenson thinks that what we ought to be singing in church is, and Chris thinks we should sing this, and Sean thinks we should. And so we're going through this list of, of what we want and what we think ought to be there. Here's the trouble. Churches today, and I know that that's a broad brush, often in churches in our day, we don't define ourselves by our theology. It's like, where do you go to church? Or, or, or better yet, what kind of church do you go to? It's like, well, I go to Providence Reformed Baptist Church, and we purposely chose that name to force our people to know what all that is. 
But if somebody says, what kind of church do you go to? What do you hear? It's like, well, I go to a contemporary church or go to a traditional church. And what do we mean by that? Contemporary meaning like you have, it's, it's like the church hasn't existed for very long. It's a church plant. You know that that's not what someone means when they say I go to a contemporary church. It becomes all about music. And I'm preaching a message about the importance of music, but we do need to make sure we have a a mature attitude toward it. We define ourselves not that we're Baptist or Presbyterian, we're conservative, or we're contemporary, or we're blended, we're traditional or non-traditional, we're we're cutting edge or stuck in the rut. See, a, a mature attitude toward music seeks to have a biblical attitude toward music. And the question is, does the Bible really say anything? Are we just like freestyling or it doesn't really matter what we listen to? So you might be asking, if I'm saying we ought to have a mature attitude toward music, well, tell me what an immature attitude toward music is. Glad you asked. Uh, An immature attitude toward music is one that elevates stylistic preference over content and the ability to communicate that content. You say, wow, that was, that was a mouthful. Let me just boil it down. I'm not saying that all music is neutral because we could sing holy, holy to the tune of can, can, and we're just, we're going to totally miss it. Holy, 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 holy. So, so I understand that music is not a neutral thing. Music stirs emotions and honestly in different cultural settings, in different cultural settings, style, more style, different styles of music will be um, will communicate a message that in another cultural setting it, it absolutely does not. I'll come with me to Haiti, and and you'll find out things. There, there's just something very different. I can say, boy, that would never work in our church. What kind of the, we couldn't have that kind of music? Well, you're probably right. Although <laughs> we might learn some things. It's not about your preferences. It's an attitude that finds pleasure in songs that seek God's pleasure. What kind of music pleases God? And another level of that question is what what kind of music is fitting in a corporate worship setting? Great. And it might be different in your Toyota than it is in the worship center here at Providence. That's all right. But when we're talking about corporate worship, there's an attitude, a mature attitude we need to have because an an immature attitude toward music either fusses because somebody is introducing new instruments or music styles into the music of the church or complains that there's not enough change in the music at church and both extremes are immature. Both extremes miss the mark because both extremes focus on pleasing me. What do I want in church? That's the main thing. Isn't that our consumer-driven culture? And it isn't new to us. I listened to a Jack Benny show last night a little while while I was driving and listening to the Jello Jello gelatin commercial from 1937. It's like, oh, it's all about you and your preferences and this is pleasing. Twice the flavor it used to have. We try to sell church that way. So we're marketing church to say, wow, twice as holy, better music, shorter preaching. We only have a 9% tithe. And we, we tend to go after people based on what will please you. Let's draw them in. Let's, let's get them in here and we'll rock them. We'll impress them. Regarding music, on the extremes, we miss the mark because we're focusing on pleasing ourselves. So you say, well, then what's a mature attitude toward music? Glad you asked. It really recognizes what the Bible says the music of the church should not be. So it's positive and negative at the same time. A mature attitude, for instance, sees that that. The, the music of the church, this singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your hearts to God, that doesn't mean that all of our music is inaudible. It means that it's coming from the heart and we're directing it toward God. First of all, it's not, first of all, meant to be sung to unbelievers. And the only reason I bring that out is because you look at, at the, the music that Israel sang. 
It wasn't seeker-sensitive psalms. In fact, some of them, there are times when I, when I want to jump up when we're in the imprecatory psalms and we're, we're reading these things, it's like, how, how is this going to stir people's hearts for worship? Because it's like dashing people against rocks and, and you, you see those psalms and you say, do I have to defend God? Do I have to defend Israel delighting in the justice of God and, and not in, in themselves taking revenge, but in God saying, I am here. I love my people. And because of my perfect love, I have perfect anger. And the psalmist recognized that. So you, you look at, at the, the hymns of Israel and you say, those were absolutely not designed to attract a crowd. So a mature attitude toward music realizes that, that our Corporate songs. I'm not saying there's never a place for, uh, for songs that are calling people to faith. I'm just saying when the church is gathered, that's a challenge to the church. A dim view of the sovereignty of God and salvation really should move us to write music. I should say it does move people to write music that just sets a mood. It's like, what's the purpose of music? It's like, well, we're going to set a mood so we can get people to make a profession of faith or we're going to set a mood so when the people are gathered, uh, they just, let's get through the music and make us feel ready so we get to the main thing and so we get to the sermon. And we're, we're forgetting music either falls into the one another or the two God categories. And the purpose is to direct praise to God. It isn't to woo depraved people into making a decision or for that matter to whet the appetites of believers for the sermon. It's not to be sung in a closet. That's another negative of the mature attitude toward music. It's not to be sung in a closet. Not that there's anything wrong with singing in the closet, singing in your home, singing in your car, but corporate worship is, is corporate. There's a place for private worship, but the music of the church is corporate, and that means you, you strike the balance between having the volume so low that a church that isn't very musical is kind of mumbling because they can't hear it or cranking up the music so high that it's, it's a performance and we just come to listen to the concert on Sunday mornings. When we're talking about corporate worship, it is meant to be corporate. It's a one another thing. We're singing as a group. Even if you've got a horrible voice, sing out strong. You probably aren't going to be invited to do special music if you have a horrible voice, no matter how right your heart is with God. We want to do it skillfully for the glory of God, but when we're singing corporately, belt it out. You don't have a mic in front of your face. It is keeping it negative on the positive what the mature attitude is. It's not devoid of biblical content. Uh, 1 Kings 4.31 says that Solomon was wiser than uh, quite a few men, including uh, Haman and Ethan the Ezraite. You say, who in the world were those guys? They were musicians. The wisest men in the kingdom next to Solomon, and this is the point, the wisest men in the kingdom next to Solomon were the musicians. The guys who understood the scriptures in the kingdom were musicians. So that meant that the things that they wrote, the, the, the music, musical content itself, of course, had to be excellent. But when you read, for instance, Psalm 88 or Psalm 89, you learn that, that Haman and Ethan were not simply men who had learned three chords on the guitar and wrote trite poems that could be applied to God or your girlfriend. These guys wrote songs of worship, worship that delighted in God they were priests, they were teachers, they were wise men in Israel, and one form of their instruction was music. It was theologically sound, it was poetically beautiful, it was musically skillful, and it was overflowing with emotion. It is also not boring. Christ-centered music is only boring if your heart chooses not to engage. So when you are in a setting, whether that would be here or somewhere else, and, and stylistically, it's like, ah, that's not what I have on my playlist. But, but, but when we're saying, what, what are we singing anyway? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, this is a group song. 
our heart shall rise to thee. It's like, oh, see, they got that King James English in there. Learn it. Some of the wonderful hymns in our hymnal, and this one isn't in our hymnal, but I wanted at my funeral. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to thee again. And then there's the new stuff. And you realize that the music we sing here, uh, Sovereign Grace music and Keith and Kristen Getty music and a lot of the others, do you realize that Keith and Kristen Getty, before they put anything before a publisher, they take it before spiritual leaders, before their pastor, Alistair Begg, by the way, (laughs) they take the music and say, would you review this for theological content? Because we don't want stuff being spewed off of church platforms that, that isn't biblical in content. Christ-centered music is only boring if your heart isn't right with God and you refuse to engage based on what your preferences are. The music Paul's talking about here, and for that matter in the parallel text in Ephesians that I read, the music is emotional. It has variety in style. It's just like the stuff that Ethan and Haman wrote for Israel. A mature attitude toward music is expressed in passion. And that passion ought to be the overflow of truth. Some of us aren't outwardly spewing emotions. And sometimes we can be misinterpreted uh, as, as somebody who has no emotion or who's against emotions. M- music has to be emotional. Ministry has to be emotional. Carrying out the one another's of scripture have to be emotional. So if you're singing in church as a a passionless obedience, if it's something to get through so you can see what the pastor has to say this week, then really your singing has fallen short of the purpose for which God has designed it. Shutting your brain off and saying just reading words on a screen or reading words out of a hymnal. God designed it for something so much better and he designed you for something so much better than just going through the motions. You may be a raise your hands person or a sit on your hands is it okay? Is it okay if, if I'm stirred and I'm singing to God and singing about God, I'm singing to the people next to me and realizing we are getting a message from God because the, the songs we're singing are adoring him, talking about how worthy he is to be adored or they're instructing us about who he is so we can adore him. One of the natural outcomes of being filled with the Holy Spirit is having a heart from which truth leaps because that heart knows more of God that it can hold inside and it's spilling out and music is one way that happens. Preaching is another way that happens. Sharing the gospel with people, just testifying about the glory of your king to another believer because he's worthy. The vertical and the horizontal aspects of one another, of the one another's in scripture just can't be discounted. Three types of music Paul describes here. Pretty difficult to, to describe precisely, but pretty much every Bible in this room or every Bible app in this room says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They express the, the variety that being filled with the Holy Spirit that it shows what it produces in his people. Songs that are taken directly from scripture, I would say that would fall into the psalm category. Hymns. You say, well, were there hymns in the Bible? Actually, yeah, there were inspired hymns in the Bible. Paul quite possibly was a musician and, and some of the things that he wrote in some of his different letters might communicate that these were songs that were sung in the early church Great is the mystery of godliness. And he he talks about Christ being manifest in the flesh and he speaks poetically. So hymns that are teaching the great doctrines of the faith, that would be the hymns in my opinion. Spiritual songs, I I would put some of the contemporary choruses and, and we sing contemporary hymns as well. But some of the choruses, and I know that there are some that are, are uh, maybe not worth singing in a group because you're not sure really what they're even saying. But I think there is a place to sing songs of adoration to the Lord. And, and if it's a, a peppy modern tune, that's okay. Is, is repetition evil? Well, read Psalms and answer that question. 
You're going to find people in our day who choose to join churches or leave churches solely based on music. And, and I love y'all, but that, if you're here just because the music was too wild or too conservative where you were before, you need to really think the reason you left that church. And, uh, and I, I, I just want to be biblical here. If the reason you're thinking about going to a place that maybe has music according to your preferences, uh, it, it's great to have great music that, that, that you like. But there are more factors involved in, in choosing a church or leaving a church, or ought to be, if the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. When we live out the one another's whether their preferences Bach or rock, the need in our day is not the filling of the building. The need of our day is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that going to result in emotionally stirring music? Absolutely. It should, anyway. But don't think you can manufacture the filling of the Holy Spirit with shine Jesus shine any more than you can with holy, holy, holy. The, the idea is that you get your temple full of the word of God and you're going to get your music ministry in line. And I'm not talking about the people making the decisions. I'm talking about you when you come in here and it's like, oh, what are we singing today? I don't like that one. A mature attitude toward music sees all the voices, and stringed instruments, percussion instruments, wind instruments, whether you strum it or pluck it or pound on it or blow air through it. What, what are they? They are means. They are means to an end in the church and that is praise to God and instruction to people that flow from hearts that are full of the word of Christ. So a mature attitude toward music results when people are willing to search the scriptures, when people are willing to act on teaching that says that church music is for praising God and church music is for instructing God's people. We are to be so full of the word of Christ that it spills out. The word of Christ is to be the source of our teaching. Giving and receiving instruction is the task of all of us, personally or in groups, and the natural overflow of good teaching is good music.